everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the Week in Review and Preview conversation, where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's conversation primarily focuses on fixed income sectors, how they have performed, and the outlook for 2024. Joining us for the conversation today, I'm glad to welcome back Frank Salejo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategist for the Americas for the UBS Chief Investment Office. Let's get started. Can you recap some of the notable events of the past week? You know, for the most part, Siobhan, markets took a breather this week after four consecutive weekly gains in the S&P 500. Those gains began in early November after markets overcame an obstacle course of events, including the November 1st meeting of the Federal Reserve. And post-meeting comments made by Fed Chair Jay Powell uh, that were perceived as dovish began to reinforce the economic soft landing narrative that has sort of ebbed and flowed over the course of 2023. And this week, that narrative, that uh, expectation for an economic soft landing, it began to gain some further support this week when Fed Governor Christopher Waller, who, by the way, had been one of the most hawkish members of the FOMC, He said on Tuesday that the Fed's current policy is well positioned to slow the economy down and to get inflation back to 2%. Again, saying that the Fed's current policy, as it stands now, is is on track to get inflation back to 2%. And he even went on to to, to, uh, uh, tacitly support the market's view regarding rate cuts in 2024. Now, this contrasted a bit with comments from Fed Governor Michelle Bauman and New York Fed President John Williams, who both indicated some satisfaction with the recent inflation trends, but generally avoided commenting on the future path of rates. But overall, this further uh, acceptance of the soft landing narrative has helped the S&P 500 to rebound by about 11% since the October 27th low. And looking at 10-year Treasury yields, just this week, the yield on the 10-year Treasury uh, has fallen by another 10 to 15 basis points. We're at about 433 right now. That's from about 490 a month ago. Uh, again, and this is all on the back of the uh, reacceptance of that economic soft landing narrative. And on that front, we got some more evidence from data releases this week. Barry, I'll turn it over to you for that part of the story. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Uh, so on, in terms of the inflation readings, again, I think uh, the focus was on uh, the disinflation trends still being intact. Uh, so we saw this week the uh, readings from the PCE inflation with headline coming in unchanged on a month-over-month basis, uh, core rate coming in line up two-tenths of a percent. And these rates are running at levels that are at 3% year-over-year and 3.5% year-over-year, respectively. So certainly down uh, quite substantially, you know, from the, the peak levels that we had seen. Again, this uh, also adds on some of the other benign inflation data readings that we saw during the month of November, both from the CPI and the, the PPI perspective. And then confirmation as well from the growth standpoint that uh, the economy is still, you know, holding up, um, you know, quite uh, well. I think um you know, we can point to maybe some of the uh, consumer retail uh, data points that came out of the uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday periods uh, that, uh, as well as some good signposts 
from in-person sales at stores. Um, that said, you know, we also had the Fed Beige Book uh, come out, and, and the, the Beige Book uh, indicated, you know, that the pace of growth perhaps is a bit more moderate uh, than we saw you know, definitely in the third quarter. Uh, so third quarter growth was revised up actually this week to a, a lofty 5.2% annualized. Uh, but the Beige Book uh, indicating that, you know, moderate, much more uh, moderate growth is to be expected ahead. ahead. And, and I think, you know, again, that, that would be, you know, a, kind of a good environment for um, definitely some, you know, risk assets uh, where you have that disinflation uh, and, and still positive kind of, you know, but not too hot, not too cold economic growth continuing. As 2023 draws to a close and we look back, how have fixed income sectors performed this year and what is the outlook for 2024? With my focus in investment grade corporate bonds, I think there were a few things that, um, you know, kind of we expected this year and maybe a few surprises. Um, as far as things start with the surprises, uh, you know, bond prices this year for the investment grade index uh, were bad flat. Uh, so we thought, you know, that maybe some price appreciation was in store, particularly earlier in the year. Uh, you know, this was our view, but certainly what we saw as far as the path of interest rates, uh, treasury yields, you know, basically climbing um, on, a, on a year-to-date basis. Uh, you know, that's the main reason why, from a total return standpoint, we didn't see the price appreciation pan out this year. Um, you know, the average yield for an investment grade corporate began the year at 5.5%. And now stand at about 5.6 to 5.7, uh, so not substantially above where they began the year. Uh, but again, the, the return that you that you got in investment grade corporates, and, and now on a year-to-date basis, uh, it's about slightly over 4%. It's really driven, you know, by the income as well as the curve roll, roll down, not any price appreciation. So that was a bit of a surprise. I think things that met our expectations were. You know, investment grade fundamentals generally staying intact, uh, absent, you know, the volatility stress that we saw uh, focused on the regional banking sector uh, earlier this year. Um, you know, we generally saw investment grade company balance sheets, you know, that were uh, strong, um, you know, despite the challenging earnings environment, uh, that definitely is a focus on, you know, maintaining debt levels, you know, at, at um, you know, more conservative, um, you know, types of levels. So, I think the overall fundamental backdrop was strong. You know, our outlook ahead in terms of next year, you know, I guess I would point to, to three main uh, points. You know, number one, yields are still attractive, as I mentioned. You know, you're still getting a yield that's uh, about 5.6, 5.7 on average. There are opportunities to capture yields that are above that, closer to 6% in, you know, high-quality investment-grade uh, corporate issuers. So there's definitely, you know, opportunity uh, to exceed that. Uh, and names with strong fundamentals. Um, you know, we're in a yield environment now that's obviously, you know, a lot higher than the mid 3% range that persisted for much of the period, you know, after the global financial crisis. Uh, so, um, so we have that, uh, you know, at our favor. I think number two, you know, price gains for investment grade corporates are, uh, possible next year as a decline in treasury yields, you know, becomes uh, the factor that pushes investment grade corporate bond prices higher. Uh, even if, you know, credit spreads uh, do move somewhat wider. Um, and that's, the, you know, the third point is that investment grade corporate credit spreads as they stand today, they're pretty snug. Um, you know, that we don't think that there's uh, much room for them to move significantly tighter from here. Um, but, 
you know, we think also that uh, any widening should be uh, limited in scope, uh, again, just by the, um, the nature of the fact that we don't see too many excesses within the corporate credit markets, you know, at the moment or within any certain sector. So, you know, the big picture for investment-grade corporates is one of uh, historically attractive valuations from a yield standpoint, not a spread standpoint. But we do think that with yields where they are, it should help to limit any downside uh, return potential, you know, that uh, that might happen next year. Yeah, and, and from my perspective, uh, when it comes to preferreds, uh, a lot of similar trends and thoughts uh, uh, that Barry just uh, highlighted there with respect to credit and investment-grade credit. But preferred stocks, we came into the year feeling more optimistic, and our optimism was driven by our interest rate outlook and by the sector's valuation. The preferred sector experienced record losses back in 2022, but the silver lining to those uh, losses were the improvement in valuations coming into this year. But of course, uh, the sector faced even more headwinds as 2023 unfolded. We had higher Fed rate expectations becoming priced into the market in January and February. Then in March and early May, we had those regional banking concerns that that Barry mentioned. And then more recently, we had this surge in interest rates from August through October. Uh, so overall, the preferred uh, sector returns have been uh, somewhat muted this year with a year-to-date return of about 5%. But I would point out, most of that year-to-date return has actually come from performance uh, that's taken place just over the past few weeks. Uh, it was actually mid-October in which the preferred sector actually flipped from gains to year-to-date losses. But given the strong, powerful rally we've seen in Treasury rates, with Treasury rates uh, falling down, as I mentioned at the outset, from 5% to now you know, under 440, we've had this uh, really powerful rebound in the last few weeks, and that's helped to restore year-to-date gains, but again, somewhat muted in the, in the range of about 5%. Now, in terms of outlook, uh, near term, we may see some give back uh, given that powerful rally, as I mentioned, in Treasury rates, we could see rates, you know, we could see some more rate volatility. Uh, so there could be some uh, volatility as a result in the preferred sector sort of getting whipsawed by that near-term rate volatility. But longer term, looking ahead, we think that the Fed's July rate increase was its last. So we expect an extended pause from here with uh, with rate cuts more likely as we move further into 2024. And along with an economic slowdown, those two factors would support lower treasury rates from here longer term as we move into 2024. And we could add to that current preferred valuations with yields well above historical averages around the 7, 7% range, which is uh, well above historical averages. And additionally, most preferreds traded a discount to par. So there's actually price appreciation potential in the current market, especially against a backdrop in 2024 of lower treasury rates, we could really actually see price appreciation come into play, which is usually not the case when it comes to preferred specifically and quite frankly, fixed income more broadly. So Siobhan, we have a favorable view uh, on the preferred sector. We're constructive given that combination of current valuations against the backdrop of lower trending rates. We think these two factors in particular, this backdrop could lead to impressive performance and pretty solid 12-month returns from here. Thank you so much for that update, Frank. So as we begin to look ahead, what is CIO's overall market outlook? 
Yeah, I'll start. You know, at CIO, we did just recently publish our year-ahead report for 2024, and we continue to believe that the U.S. economy will remain strong enough to avoid a recession, but continue to slow toward a softish landing. That's what we're calling it, a softish landing. And again, that's one of those things that's going to support lower treasury rates. And under this scenario, we think both bonds and stocks should deliver positive returns next year. And uh, along those lines, we recently upgraded U.S. equity from least preferred to neutral. So we think both stocks and bonds will be supported by those lower rates that we're expending, uh, expecting in 2024. And as I mentioned earlier, we even think that there's scope for Fed rate hikes. Next year, we expect a first Fed rate hike in the spring or summer of 2024, depending upon the data. And we see the potential for two or three cuts next year overall. So we think investors should continue to look to rebalance their portfolios with a mix of bonds and stocks and even alternatives. And we know that this diversification should mitigate volatility, which would potentially uh, come about from continued geopolitical risks in 2024, maybe some unexpected monetary policy shifts, or U.S. federal budgetary concerns and political dysfunction out of Washington, D.C. But uh, more near term, on the monetary policy front, all eyes will be on the next Fed meeting, which ends on December 13th. Uh, Barry, what have you got? Yeah, thanks. And, and then also, as far as the economic data releases, uh, that'll be circled again during the beginning of December will be the Consumer Price Index on the 8th. Uh, I'm sorry, on the 12th, and uh, the jobs report, which is a week from today, it'll be December 8th when we get the jobs report for November. Um, as far as the, the Fed meeting that you mentioned, Frank, on December 13th, you know, we do think that it's unlikely that the Fed will, you know, hike rates, extremely un- unlikely, but a lot of attention and focus will be on the, the statement that comes out. And, you know, remember at the um, September meeting, the statement had the language that, you know, tighter financial uh, conditions for households and businesses would weigh on economic activity. You know, since then, we've seen a rally in the equity markets, decline in treasury yields, so, so definitely some easing of financial conditions. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, you know, that phrase is still included, uh, you know, or tweaked in the December statement. Um, there's also, you know, additional uh, dot plots, economic projections, so a very big meeting, you know, on the calendar. Um, we do get a little bit of a signpost. Actually, later today, said Chair Powell, he's going to make a public appearance. And, um, you know, we do think that he'll be careful to avoid, you know, sounding too dovish, uh, you know, for now. Um, definitely think it's too, er- too early to eliminate, you know, the tightening bias in the Fed's word guidance. Um, you know, but, but as we talked about, you know, as the Fed does reach, you know, the end of the hiking cycle, um, you know, this should bode well, certainly for fixed income uh, assets and, you know, high quality spread product um, areas and, and even, you know, a sector such as agency MBS where spreads are above average, we think stands to do really well, uh, you know, next year. John, I can turn it back to you. Today, we have been joined by Frank Salejo and Barry McAlinden, Senior Fixed Income Strategist for the Americas for the UBS Chief Investment Office. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.